So my name is Elizabeth Guerra. I'm the deputy director of One Freedom for All, or we shorthand it, we call it One Freedom. I was born and raised in Queens. After college, I moved back home to Queens and spent a significant part of my life in Washington Heights, Inwood area. My name is Hector Gerardo. I'm originally from Dominican Republic. I came here when I was 12 years old. I moved to East Harlem for the most part of my life. Um, I lived in East Harlem, and then I moved to the South Bronx because the connection between the South Bronx and, and East Harlem, even they even have the same city council member. Um, some parts, yeah, yeah, assembly too. It used to be Marvi Verita. Yep. Um, um, now that she got booted out, um, we waiting for the new for the election to see who we're gonna put in place. Well, Diana Ayala um, took over her position. Yeah, yeah. but there's gonna be an election. Anyways. Another one, yeah. yeah. So we gotta see what's gonna happen. But that's me. And I went to school Washington Irving downtown, metal detectives. Then I went to school at Boston University, and now I'm here. Moved back to to New York and travel a lot, working with the union. I'm a union, pro union advocate what and fields? organizer. I used to work for SEIU, the service in the service area, Service Employee International Union. I used to work for them. I used to work. For for La Una, the laborers. I used to work for a lot of different unions. And yourself, what schools did you go to? I, I went to Stony Brook University on Long Island. For high school, I went to Bayside High School. No, this is not Bayside from Saved by the Bell, which is oftentimes what people would like to joke around with. <laughs> Bayside High School in Bayside, Queens. It's in Northern Queens. And then um, in terms of, of paid work, uh, I've been working as a union organizer, union rep for about 13 years. I worked with kind of a spectrum of unions throughout the country. So I worked with the hotel workers here in New York City, which are considered, their contract is considered the strongest uh, hotel workers contract in Northern America. I worked with the nurses union and they continue to do some really amazing work around patient advocacy and safe staffing for for nurses currently working for the teachers union doing just really really amazing work trying to create spaces and uh, more parity for teachers and I think the the real, the largest connection between my work and the work that we're doing with One Freedom is you know throughout my life I've done a lot of work specifically in industries that have been female dominated industries and dominated by uh, immigrant women as well uh, Latina women Spanish-speaking women, and so I think that's uh, certainly a, a space that when we're talking about the work that One Freedom does, we want to be able to create a space and create voice and uh, teach women, uh, young people, period, how to stand in their own power. Yeah, so do the introduction for One Freedom to our listeners. Tell me about the mission, its founding, and its membership. So One Freedom is a social justice organization, and we use a human rights kind of framework to teach young people, multi-generational groups of people here in the South Bronx and focused primarily in the South Bronx but throughout New York City on organizing and activism using the tools of culture, the arts, and popular education. Our vision is having folks in the South Bronx in particular because of the high rates. The South Bronx is constantly in the news as being the lowest performing school district in New York City. And so we wanted to be able to change that. Um, like Hector said, there's a there's a joint history between East Harlem and the South Bronx. And it's frankly a really beautiful history in the South Bronx in terms of activism, if you think of hostos, in terms of, you know, hip hop. Hip hop was born here in the in the Bronx, in the South Bronx. If you think of a number of really amazing just mints here in the South Bronx that are oftentimes just kind of erased with 
you know, transient people, people who just never are able to really lift up their voices. And so we wanted to create a space, create an organization that helped folks to see outside of what is written in their textbooks and what's taught in schools and instead really become the voices of their history and of, of their community here in the South Bronx. And how did it start? It did it start when you two met it? Did one of you start it or? It has shifted. First started in 2012 and we started off doing kind of events like live art shows. Started with a family, it was like a family organization that's, so we had, we all got together. We decided to do something that is not out there as much as, as it should. It's showcasing the arts and culture of our communities because often people come in and they say we're going to help you create arts and culture now understanding that the arts and culture is already there and it's been here and it's mm-hmm. been here for hundreds of years and how can we showcase the people that's here and and elevate the work that they are doing and that's how one freedom started actually the name one freedom was one of my cousins that came up with that name from boston marisol i give a, a shout out so we were in a group chat and we was thinking like what we're going to call this organization um, that's doing this amazing work and we're going to do work in Boston. We're going to do work here in, in, in New York City. So what are we going to call that? Because we are we fighting for freedom, but how can we convey um, that we're fighting for everybody's freedom? Unity. So, for mm-hmm. everybody's unity. So that's why we call it number one, the number one, um, one freedom, because we all want um, our freedom and we want to all do it together. And it's also um, like our, our liberations are bound up with one another. And so yeah. how do we fight for freedom, understanding that, you know, it's just not one person, it's, you know, we're pulling people along the way with us. Absolutely. I definitely agree with that quote that says, you know, if one of us is, isn't free, none of us are free, mm-hmm. right? Um, and that's what made it so hard, um, especially when Trump was elected. There was a lot of interviews talking about um, what is the biggest issue right now in this administration? You know, what matters the most to you right now? And I said, I, I can't personally prioritize because if my Mexican neighbor is being deported and my Muslim neighbor is being, you know, is being oppressed and my LGBTQ neighbor can't be a part of the military, I think that all of that suffering and oppression is of of equal value, is yeah. of equal hurt and pain to them. So I'm not going to say that, oh, Latino rights are more important, LGBTQ rights are more important. No, it has to be tied and unified. And even though it's hard, we have to kind of work on all the problems at the same time. And that's what One Freedom is doing, is creating, um, is creating the, the conversation around intersectionality. It's not just your issue, it's how can we all come together to that intersection to, to fight for all human rights. That education is a human right, that housing is a human right, then your preference for sexuality is a human right. Access to food is a human right. Yes. Um, we have um, the South Bronx where all the food for the East Coast comes through. Through the Hunts Point we Market. Are, through the Hunts Point Market, we are a food desert. We have a food desert um, in this community. Oh, I know. I so. live here. <laughs> you saw my one sea town yeah. where the produce on the shelves is, is going moldy. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the prices are extremely inflated. Yeah. One of the episodes I'm going to do is actually going to a supermarket in Manhattan. One in Brooklyn, one in Queens, and one in the Bronx. And I'm going to buy the same 10 items. And I want to show the difference between the bills and show the difference between the, the best buy dates, the freshness of the items. And, mm-hmm. and you are a single, a, a single household. Imagine if you have four kids that you got to buy all this different food and you're a single parent. You don't have a, a job that pays you more than $30,000 a year and you got to stretch your money monthly and then you got to buy all the groceries. You're going to go where the food is cheap. Exactly. And it's not going to be good for, and then, for your community. And then the federal government wants to cut That's food not. stamps mm-hmm. and trade it out for a box that you get mm-hmm. once a month. So it's 
just yeah it really is all of it's tied and i think that you're right you know as we as we liberate parts of you know of our community we all become more free and all of our lives are better for it now tell me about how your background hector you said you were from dominican republic and you came here when you were 12 years old yeah and and you were born here correct mm-hmm. i was so, born in queens in queens. hospital yeah <laughs> <laughs> so tell me i mean first how your experience um immigrating here from dominican republic informed your work that you're doing with one freedom and for you growing up in new york city mm-hmm. how that informed your work in what with one freedom it's interesting i'm actually in the process of completing um a yoga training that has a social justice and a racial justice lens applied to it, which I think is absolutely amazing and definitely necessary. Yesterday was our brief for social justice and we had very, very blunt conversations. And in the room, in the space, the yoga training is for yoga for all people, all, all genders, all you know sizes, sizes and shapes and colors <laughs> uh, and which i think is completely amazing right like i didn't want to be in a yoga training and have like skinny white wealthy women telling me how to contort my body and there's no connection to what yoga actually meant and you know the, the history of yoga and how you know people were oppressed for for centuries in india and so in this breathe for social justice we all had really blunt conversations about moments in which we felt oppressed and are moments in which we knew that changes had to happen. And so I was born and raised here in in New York City in the 1980s, growing up in Queens in a predominantly white, wealthy neighborhood. It was extremely difficult being a monolingual Spanish speaker entering a school that was predominantly white. And I have this one memory in the first grade of, you know, coloring, using my crayons, you know, doing what first graders do and asking one of my my classmates for the color yellow, a yellow crayon, and pronouncing it yellow because of my accent and learning English. And my memory is of, you know, the student, my classmate laughing at my pronunciation and then the teacher coming over and yelling, yelling at me and saying, you don't know how to say the right word. You don't know how to say the word yellow and feeling terrible from that point forward and remembering like, you know, I have to make sure that I speak English. My diction is perfect. My pronunciation is perfect. If- and so what ended up happening was I went home that day and I asked my mom and we didn't have lots of mo- We didn't have money, period. There were four of us. And so I remember asking my mom for as many yellow crayons as possible. So I would never have to use that word. And that just being ingrained in my head and, you know, moments of you're different. As a kid, people say, oh, you know, kids don't know race. They don't know. They don't see color. I call BS on it because people do know. And whether you're different or not, especially when you're different, folks are very, very clear to make sure that you know that you're different. And so I think that certainly creates like the foundation for uh, being able to continue to create spaces for young people who are similar, have similar experiences than I do. And what's incredible about that story, too, is you were talking about one freedom, right? And, you know, you were duly oppressed by a student and a teacher in that Mm -hmm. situation. And unfortunately, I know that you probably weren't the first or the last Mm -hmm. person to be oppressed by that teacher and that student. Those two individuals, unless they ever learn what's right, which is not to oppress other people, they're going to continue that behavior. Yeah. Um, And also, one more point as to children don't know race, that's completely untrue. Mm -hmm. Because children know everything that they learn at home and that they learn at school. And for many children, those things are sometimes it's race. Mm -hmm. And someone either actively taught that child that it's okay to treat other people that way, Mm -hmm. or 
they actively did not teach that child that it's not okay. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Absolutely. As parents, those we have to hold parents accountable for the intentional choices they make in raising their mm-hmm. children, um, especially if they lead to the oppression of others. Mm-hmm. For sure. But now, Hector, do you want to give your side also? Um. So, yeah, so I came here when I was 12. I saw, like, a lot of differences between living in Dominican Republic and being here. Because um, in the Dominican Republic, when I was there, like, everybody in my neighborhood fairly looked like me. They all, we all lived. I'm from the capital, Santo Domingo. So in my, in my neighborhood, we all, we all live in a house. Everybody had their own space. Um, we were not cooked up in one building. Um, and when I came here, the first thing I, I moved in was to the projects. I moved to Grand Houses um, in 125th Street and Broadway. Um, and I saw the difference as soon as I, as, I, as I came here, how all these people that look like me live in boxes. And then you go downtown and you see all these lights, you see all these people, and you see the difference. Um, and I saw the difference as soon as I came here of, of, neighbor, excuse me, of neighborhoods and how divided um, we are. And I come from a from a fighting family. My mother is a union is a union organizer. My father is a community activist in Washington Heights. So I come from a family that always is outspoken about the injustices that's happening in our world. And coming here, I didn't understand it about why they uh, they fought. why they were so yes. you know put so much time and effort into these causes. Yes, because when I was in the yard, like you know, we all we all lived the same. I felt like we all had the same. Um, I was sheltered. I was young. So I know my parents went through, uh, and my brothers, they went through hard times growing up, but I never, I never experienced that because they sheltered me from, from those experiences that they had. Because when I speak to them, they tell me stories about poverty in the in Dominican Republic. But coming here, I didn't think that I was going to live in poverty. I was thinking that I was going to see money in the streets. Like they say in DR, when, when people come, they, you find money in the streets. And I was looking for money in the streets, and I couldn't find any money. What I found was neglect and, and less resources um, for a country that's supposed to be a superpower. That, and I that, never understood that. Yeah, that golden streets narrative. So yeah. if you if you read in the history books from 200 years ago, when we had people coming from China to uh, the United States, and they had that same narrative in their country, the streets are paved with gold. Mm-hmm. The streets are made of gold. And then 200 years later, you still had that idea of, our, of, you, of the United States in your mind. And, so uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's basically my story. And then grow, like going to public schools here, even going to uh, middle school, when I came to middle school, I understood that I was a little bit advanced than the people here. Some of the things that they was getting, that they, oh, given that my English wasn't as good, um, so I had to learn English. So in English, like in English class, I didn't do as but well. Math, math but math, math is the same. But math, math is the same. And I'm, and I was, and and when I came here, I was in sixth grade. So I said, how you getting stuff that you get in fourth and fifth grade and sixth grade? I never understood that. Like I learned this like <laughs> two years ago. Two years ago, like why are you learning, learning this? I'm now? an expert in it. Yeah. yeah like why are you learning this now? So um, even then, I saw the the disparity uh, between the education for the wealth. For the wealthy and the education for the so-called oppressed people um, or the impoverished communities, which uh, we're not impoverished because we have we keep this machine going with our taxes and and our sweat and our blood running in the streets. We keep this ship going. So mm-hmm. we, that's that's you know that's my story and and how I came to be an, an, an activist. Yeah, and thank you both for sharing your stories. And um, and another point, like we were just saying, right? Kids learn at home and on the street, mm-hmm. right? 
So your parents were community organizers, were union organizers. So it's no surprise that you've followed in their footsteps because that's how you were raised. And I think it's important for parents to realize, I know it seems like your kids don't listen, but they are always listening and they're always watching. And even if they don't understand now, when they're an adult, they'll be able to fully appreciate. Last year in the the Women's March in January of 2017, we decided to take the trip down to Washington, D.C. We have family, we have friends who live in the We were there, too, because I went area. to law school in D.C., oh, yeah? so I was there, too, yeah. So we came there, and we have two daughters. At that point, they were, what, like, nine and... Nine, nine and six? six. Yeah? <laughs> Ten and six. And so... Sorry, girls. Um, so, um, you know, they come to our trainings. When we do our youth trainings, they're an active member, an active part in it. And we often, you know, we always ask, like, you know, are we doing the right thing? Are we forcing them to be in these places? And we've developed a, a real clear understanding that we need to force our girls to be in these spaces because... At the end of the day, we want them to. T- we're, we're, our job right now is to pass the baton to the next generation. It's an ongoing thing. It's like once you get there, your your job is to be thinking about those all coming behind you. And so, we're in the the women's march, and we find our family and our friends, and we're we're just marching, and you know we're in this block, and out of and you know Hector starts chanting, and Hector's sister starts chanting, and out of nowhere, our daughter, our eldest daughter, just starts chanting, and soon enough. The little one is now telling the big one, here, these are the chants that I want you. And she's leading a whole entire block of people in Washington, D.C., chanting, you know, Trump, no, Trump, laugh, you know, what's disgusting, Trump, you know, and saying this, just doing the stuff that, you know, for years we had taken our girls to to marches. And, you know, we just, we the, the chanting part is always a fun part, but we didn't expect them to actually bring them. Um, to that space, right? And to be leading these two little girls, to be leading all these adults, all these these grown people, was really amazing. And you know, we Hector and I kind of stood back, and it was frankly just really humbling and amazing for us to be the ones who are like, you know, the call and and response. We were responding to her call, to their call, and it was just really amazing. So that's our first story. And our second story, you know, uh, again, our our daughters come to our trainings, and they they uh, they do that work. Uh, alongside us and are an active member and uh, one of our daughters had our, our, the el- our eldest daughter actually organized a little group of her friends because they were really upset about how dirty their their bathroom was inside their building and so they actually did a march on the boss right what we call in, in organizing so they marched on their principal and they said you know what this bathroom is disgusting what do we need to do in order to clean this this is unacceptable we deserve better and so the principal had said, you know, we're doing construction later on in the summer, so the bathroom is not going to be as nice right now, so please be patient with us, but we're doing some... And so my daughter learned from from our trainings, you never accept no as an answer. And if they can't, they can't work with you, then figure out something else. And so in her mind, immediately it was, okay, so you're saying no because of, you know, structural reasons. So can we use yours? So she, <laughs> I wish she, she wasn't there. Because I know the principal's not using that bathroom. Certainly, I mean, she has her own bathroom. And so my daughter said, well, you know what? We need to talk about the way that this school looks. And what the school needs immediately is a community garden. So what do we need to do in order to get a community garden together? And the teacher, the principal said, you know what? I had to find out. And my daughter actively went down to that school, to her principal, every single day and asked, 
what's your response? What's your response? So now she's not organizing more students, has a student petition going. She's in the fifth grade, so she's going to be graduating. And her mind is, I'm not done here. When I go to middle school, I'm gonna my fight's going to go there and my fight's going to go to my high school. Like, that's always, and that's her big thing now. So I think, you know, kids are always listening. Whether you're, you're, you're yelling young at the people. TV, young people are always listening. Their ear, their connections in their own brains, whether as parents we think we're doing the right thing by bringing them around, they're there. So it's going to come out, whether it's today, tomorrow, three years from now, late into their adulthood, it's yeah. going to come out. And also, their points and their feelings are so valid. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what's been really upsetting about the whole March for Our Lives situation is the dismissal by adults um, of our youth. And, you know, 200,000 young people in America have been affected by gun violence in school since Columbine. That's not even including the children who have been affected by gun violence at, um, or in their community. I mean, that's and that's not counting, like, because that that's a statistic, I think, for for more for school shootings. The there school was, yeah, shootings. this was that's just the number of kids who have had a school shooting yes, at their school. Because because we're not they're not counting, and that's another thing about you know I love um, I love the march for a lot um, for our lives. I I I love to to see the young people talking and expressing themselves and and so eloquently that grown ups can't do it, but the. As an organizer, I see that there's lacking the narrative of our young people that's been fighting for this since 20 years ago. Yeah, there was a hashtag communities. that said we've been marching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've been marching for this, um, for this, for this, um, for this violence. It, and and they call it black on, on black on black crime. Um, they really don't call it what it is. It's guns are are a cancer to these United States, and that includes the guns that are being used by the police, by the police officers in our neighborhoods that they decriminalize our young people and they shoot them down. They just shot two people down last week, back to back. Um, and Stephen Clark and, and another young man in Houston. Our organization, One Freedom, is making a call actually to all activists of the millennials, the millennial activists that's from 28 to, to 37, is to, to use our privilege, to use our, our knowledge and mold this movement for, for the March for Our Lives. Because we cannot jump the narrative that it's just school shooting. I think the main point though that I was trying to make was that, that our children are firsthand experiencing this violence that makes their and their thoughts on the matter just as valid as us, you know? Um, people want to dismiss them just because of their age and I think that that's so unfair because they saw their classmates die. They see their family members die. Mm -hmm. um, and that hurts them just as much as it hurts us as adults. Mm -hmm. Maybe even more so for some of the young ones if they mm -hmm. can't fully comprehend loss and death. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's great that your organization is empowering young people to take their, their hurt and their pain and translate it into, into real social change and lasting social change. I mean, because one of the things is that we need to make sure that our young people understand the root of the issues and where the issues come from. Institutionalized racism um, that's still giving young people uh, in Flint, Michigan, in schools, dirty water that is causing them to get sick. Like, we need to march for those young people. We need to march for the young people that, that lose their lives every day with, with lunch. And they don't have, um, they don't get the, the same properties um, so they can... Um, think the right way um, when they're in school. 
um, food, food justice. That's one of the biggest things that, that One Freedom is advocating. One of the things that we are, we are working on is how can we create greenhouses and schools so they can start feeding themselves. Yeah. Um, growing their own vegetables, growing their own food. Just got a big win uh, because they just voted down. They banned processed meat from New York City. Um, and that's a big win. We from need the to, public schools? From the public schools. So that's Ooh, something that so that's something that we need to feed on and get the young people involved in how can we better our our foods in, in, in um in our schools. Could I also say that I think the the, the idea for the greenhouses came from a number of student, a youth that we work with in, in South Jamaica, South Jamaica Queens and they bought this to us. South Jamaica Queens is also known as the, the this area district 29 is known as the district with the most brawls like the most fights of all of the districts in New York City public schools yeah. and so the idea for the greenhouse was certainly like create a greenhouse do technical schools where kids learn how to learn horticulture right learn botany learn how to to work with their hands and uh, la, la, la tierra, right? Like yeah. how, how do they cultivate start the to cultivate the, 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 the ground and start to make their own and at the same time, in terms of the, the ideas around restorative justice, instead of if a, if, if a young person does a wrong thing, and which happens, we've all been in those situations where we make mistakes, then instead of sending them out to, or expelling them, or sending them out to suspension or in-school suspension where they're not learning anything, use that greenhouse. Use, you know, working, working in something where you can actively use you know, you did something wrong, you know what, we're gonna have you work in the greenhouse and you're gonna, and, and learn, For learn, a month. and I don't know about <laughs> a month, but like, you know, learn from, learn from that experience. And also get some of that physical angst, that yeah. anger, yeah. that out on the ground, mm -hmm. right? Because you can, you can, you can hit that soil as hard as you want, you know, you can dig as deep as you want, you know, and it doesn't hurt other people. Absolutely. And then at the end of it, they see their anger turned into something some beautiful. Fruits and vegetables. Exactly. Yeah. That not only feeds them, but, you know, essentially, like, if you think of, like, the, like, what is it, the Gotham Greens, right? They did, like, all of these amazing, like, rooftop uh, gardens. Then you can essentially start to feed other folks, other, other schools, other folks in the community, right? Like in, in yeah. thinking of ways in which we can come back to what our roots are. We're so far removed from where food comes from. So, And, and I think that's like a direct impact to our human psychic is if we don't have the right nutrients in our that's body. That's what I was about to say. Um, all these different chemicals don't work the way they're supposed to work and we get angry. Angry. Um, <laughs> we get... We get mentally exhausted because we need that brain nutrient. So, um, so it's like we, we, we try, like this youth uh, in, in South Jamaica, they're trying to create something that's it's never done. It's never been done. It's, they want to create, they want to have four schools with four greenhouses and then they can feed the whole neighborhood. So food justice really is um, important. When New York City public schools feed children of color subpar food, food is the fuel for a body, right? Mm -hmm. So they're literally physically oppressing children of color by feeding them subpar food. Absolutely. And then it leads on to negative health outcomes. Mm -hmm. The Bronx three years ago was number 62 out of 62 counties in New York State for health outcomes, which meant like all of the health outcomes combined, diabetes, asthma, obesity, high blood pressure, those kinds of things, we were number 62. You're feeding kids subpar food, they're then getting high blood pressure, diabetes, that's a permanent form of oppression. And then if we could add that, and then at the same time, they're adding trailers into their backyard. So they're not running around or they're cutting up their schools so they don't actually have a formal gym. So where are they, 
and they're stuck inside a classroom for like 90 minute blocks. Anyone, like even adults, if you have an adult sitting at a table for 90 minutes, you know, we're like, we're going crazy. So you expect kids. So like, what are they doing in order to meet young people where they're at? And it's also like even the seating, right? You have like this really hard desk and this really hard chair that you're forced to sit in for whatever the period block is. There are other school districts that get money, that get grants, that do the fundraising to get like interesting tables, right? Interesting seats. Yeah, like, circular seating. Yeah, circular seating. Where the teacher's in the middle and yeah. the kids sit around. Like, or even like, you know, beanbags as chairs. Or I know in some school districts, they actually have uh, like um, bike machines. Yeah. Those those uh, stationary bikes. So if kids who, in particular, kids who have ADHD who can't sit still, it's thinking about what ways in which we can not oppress young people and ways in which we can meet them where they're at and where they're still physically in the room and still learning. And and, and one freedom believes that if you have a budget, New York City has a budget of thirty billion dollars yeah. in education alone, bigger than any GOP. What is the GDP? GDP? Of of any of of any South American country, small thirty billion dollars in that you get every year and for where? education. Where is this money going? <laughs> and where? Like, if you walk into New York City, like, public school. When, when you said when you said about fundraising, the money's there in New York City. The money's there. They just allocating the money the wrong way and not and not putting our, our young people first. Well, look. So Carmen Farina is resigning, right? Her salary was a little over two hundred thousand. The new chancellor that's coming in is going to make three hundred thousand yeah. a year. So issues, period, right? Like there's a difference <laughs> between like you know a, a, a woman versus a man, right? And there are differences in the actual cost, yeah. right, in terms of their salary. But it's also hundred thousand dollar difference, and it's not only just their actual salary. They all come in with pensions. They all come in with benefits. That's they right. all come in with crazy, you know, car allowances and etc. <sighs> you know, and so what are what are all these additional benefits? But then your daughter's bathroom, we can't hire someone to clean it. Exactly. At, or at, people who work in as cafeteria workers don't even make food they their literally job is to open up packaging right so they increase the amount food. it increases the amount of physical waste inside New York City which is a huge problem we're now sending our waste to Pennsylvania we're paying another state to hold our garbage yeah you know and so it's like what are ways that we can work actively and, and collaboratively looking at folks in the community giving people good jobs and also you know giving our young people the nutrients they need to, to continue to succeed to let their minds be open. I think that's, I almost feel like the conspiracy theorist in me is like, is just like, you know, we're doing this in order to continue to oppress young people because at the moment that they're able to clear their minds and not be, have their brains like, you know, full with, you know, garbage from effed up history books. They organize a million people in DC yeah. in, in less than a month. So exactly. look, it's not a conspiracy theory. If you eat bad food, you will have negative health outcomes. Yeah. You will have trouble focusing. And you won't be healthy. That's that's yeah. not a conspiracy theory. You know, they're eating. They're really not eating good food, and that needs to be changed. Because, like you said, um, Hector, we have the money to do it, but obviously the people in power just don't have the will to. Absolutely. Um, and my last question, looking towards the future. So, one freedom. When you envision freedom, what do you see? What does it look like? How do you two define that word? When we look at freedom, it's people being able advocate um, and be and their voices be heard and change actually being met and people being given the the God given right for housing, the God given right for an education, the God given right for healthy food, the God given right to live in an environment that's not polluted. We we shouldn't be scared that a wave is gonna come and kill us all. You know, we we need that's that's the freedom that 
that we that we seek is the freedom that that young people adults everybody in the world not just in the united states because gun violence we're not talking about actually the guns that's being sent overseas to fight all the little kids um that's being shot on on the daily um in palestine and many different other places so when we envision freedom we envision it's that all human rights are meant for everybody that's what we define freedom but i don't know if you want it yeah i agree i mean hector talked about it from from a macro level i think from a micro level where young people can go to school and their teachers and administrators just look just like them. They don't have guns. Where, well, separate from the guns, right? Because I feel like the issue of gun violence is just part of the symptom of a larger issue, a larger problem in our society. And so when young people are able to see people who look like them, who are able to go to school and know that they're safe, know that they can go to school and eat healthy foods and be nourished in their brains, but also nourished in their bodies, where they're able to find creative outlets where budgets are no longer cut and put towards security officers from their art budget, from their music budget, where, ki- where young people and adults alike, right? Because I think New York City has this huge budget and these buildings, lots of property all over the city, and yet there are adults who need continuing education, who can't afford perhaps to go to CUNY, but can uh, can afford to take additional classes, whether it's English or some type of... As adults, you know, we don't stop learning. We should be lifelong learners. What can? How can we continue to grow? How can we continue to get what we need in order to fill ourselves? Well, that's a beautiful vision. And if people want to join you guys, One Freedom, how do they connect with you? On Instagram. <laughs> you can find us on Instagram at One Freedom For All. On Twitter, One Freedom to Win, and on Facebook, One Freedom for All as well. Uh, and you can send us an email too at info at the number one freedom dot org. And and I was serious about the call to all our brothers and uh, our sisters that are millennials. You, we need to do the work to guide these young people in our neighborhoods to use this moment because we missed this moment when Obama won in 2008. Maybe all these young people were activated and we missed our moment. This is another moment that we have as millennials to mold our, our the future, to mold it to what we want the future to be alongside with these young people. So I call all of them to sit down, all activists to sit down with, with the young person that you know and start talking about the rooted issues that we talked about in this interview so we can all um, get those human rights that we all deserve. And we have to do the work because, spoiler alert, white people are not going to do it for us. No, they're not. No, they're not. So, um, you know, real talk. <laughs> real talk. You know, I, that's why this, this podcast is not paid for by anyone because, you know, you have to be honest and Absolutely. talk about the history of oppression of people of color. But I think the last part about that is also, like, after this election, right, the stats are clear. White women elected Trump. White people elected Trump. I think we're at this point where we should no longer be the teachers of white people about our oppression. They've oppressed us for too long that it's not our job to teach them about that. Our job is to to organize and to mobilize, to teach our communities how to be powerful and that they have their power. White people should just start organizing themselves. Go collect your cousin off, <laughs> off of Capitol Hill, right? Like, start collecting yourselves and figure out because you have lots of your own generational trauma that you need to work on and it's not our job you know, we're not, it's almost like, I think of it almost like a, like a mammy uh, perspective, right? I'm not your mammy. You don't come to me, you know, the brown woman to help to be your wet nurse, right? Like you, you go back to your, your, your people and figure out how you can find your power and how you can be supportive to us as allies. And also, you know, we all have limited time and resources. I'm busy liberating myself. Yes. I don't have time to teach you about the last 200 years of oppression that was perpetrated by your ancestors. So either 
join the train and help us, you know, liberate our communities as a whole. Because we all, regardless of your race, everyone has something to gain when communities are healthier, yeah. when communities are liberated. The, the country, the world will be a better place. Sure. So either hop on the train. If you need to go back home and study, that's fine. But like you said, we're not here to serve you. We're here to serve our community and our people because no one has ever done that before. Sure. Wakanda forever. Wakanda forever. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I wish now I kind of wish we had video because we did the X at the same time, and that was like a very Bronx moment. <laughs> so everyone at home, just do the little Wakanda, Wakanda X. Yes. All right. <laughs> Thank you guys both Thank for you. coming in. This was really great to talk about, and it was a pleasure having you. Both.